Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Rajalingam Raja. He goes by Raj. Uh, he's the uh, clinical Raj. professor. Raj, okay. Uh, he's the clinical professor of surgery, uh, director of, of immunogenics and transplantation laboratory at uh, UCSF you know, in San Francisco. And we're going to talk about uh, his work. So, Raj, thanks for coming. Uh, thanks, Richard. Um, it's a great pleasure to be with. So, um, yeah, starting with uh, what we are doing. Uh, uh, so, we are uh, facilitating all the transplant, clinical transplantation occur at UCSF. Uh, meaning, uh, you know, we need to do the tissue match the donor and recipe for any clinical transplantation, kidney, heart, we take anything. Uh, we need to have a yeah, matching to matching donor. We cannot literally put someone's kidney in someone's body to reject. Right. So that's what we are doing. So we do the genetic testing, uh, serology testing, and we do all kind of bacterial testing, and we select the best donor, reject the kidney immediately. We avoid that um, uh, occurrence. Then uh, we want to keep the kidney, or when I say kidney, it goes with other organs also. Right. Uh, so we want to keep the transplanted organ the maximum uh, possible years, in 10 years. So that's what my, my our main job. So um, okay. we here uh, facilitated almost, uh, almost 800, 800 transplanted. Uh, wow. So UCSF is a big transplant program. So 5,000 people waiting for kidney transplanted, which is is like a five percent of the entire uh, weight limit. That's a lot. Yeah. What, lot what are patients. the um, what are the most difficult transplants to do, and why? Uh, so I think it's the lung uh, is the most difficult, and maybe heart, maybe uh, difficult transplant. Even the liver also. I mean, surgically it is difficult transplant, but when it comes to the immunology, meaning how the recipient accept the organ, uh, it's pretty much uh, the same basic. Uh, there are some differences between organs because uh, how the molecules are expressed uh, between uh, heart versus kidney versus liver, but the basic principles are the same. Have you ever done multiple organ transplants on someone at the same time? Oh, it's, it's a very frequent event, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so a lot of patients who need a liver uh, transplant, they also need kidney. Uh, some patients, lung or heart transplant, they need kidney. Uh, sometimes some patients need both heart and uh, lung transplant. Uh, so it's a huh. lot of combinations, say two organs or sometimes three organs. What's the most transplanted case you've ever seen? Is there like a record? Uh, well, there's a number of organs in same patients. Yeah, the same patient, yeah. Uh, so uh, I think it's only three. Uh, that depends on the center, yes. But some center does uh, the entire internal organ transplant. They just take it out. <laughs> it goes uh, wow. from, from chest to crazy. What are, what are some things that can't be transplanted? Can you transplant someone's uh, colon or intestines? You know, not brain, I know, but 
you know, when, when things can be transplanted, that would be nice to transplant. Uh, yeah, you, you said uh, it's the brain you cannot transplant, but uh, there are a lot of research, you know, so we, we did the publications uh, with uh, our collaborator at UCSF. You take her brain cells uh, from a just newly born child, uh, uh, so the child was born by dying, then you take that brain and uh, extract the cells and infuse to the other children. There are four of them who had some genetic disorder and brain disorders. So it's, it's a, not the whole brain transplantation, but the component or cellular component of brain transplantation. Huh. Uh, so people are doing it at ESF uh, and, and other centers also. Uh, so then you can, by that way, you can cure some of the... But are there any other, you know, whole organs that would be nice to transplant, but can't be? I mean, can, can again, can uh, large intestines or small intestines be transplanted? Uh, I, I, people trying uh, all possible organs to transplant. You know, people trying uh, the, uh, the colon and the small intestine is very difficult to transplant because of the immunology, the, the gut itself uh, facing, you know, in, uh, so immunically uh, proactive uh, organs is very hard to transplant. But people try to transplant everything. So like a hand transplant, they can, they can transplant hand from one individual to another individual. They can do the face transplant. People uh, lose their uh, skin, facial skin because of the burning. Uh, they transplant the face from another. Uh, they do the endometrium transplant. They, they transplant penis. You know, so you name it, all organs they transplant. Hmm, okay. What, um, so what kind of matching goes on? It sounds like blood type, um, and you said the DNA work is involved. So what, how many different types of matching do you need? What are they? Uh, so, so the in in general, is all this the basic transplantation is the most most of the scientific data we get it from the uh, from kidney transplantation. Do a lot of transplant of testing. So all the knowledge comes from the kidney transplantation. So uh, based on the kidney transplantation, um, uh, we call them uh, HLA more human leukocyte. Acid. So these uh, proteins are um, uh, one. Um, capturing our the viruses anything comes from outside our body that capture the HLA protein capture those viruses or foreign materials and give to our immune system uh, to mount in uh, uh, reactions so our body is the immune system is protected against uh, any invading pathogen uh, so these molecules called HLA molecules and we have many many of them each one has each one has a different variety of molecules because the virus itself so rapidly mutating because it wants to cheat our immune system so it changes its genetic composition to cheat our immune system so to combat that uh, our hla or our immune system the hla molecules also changing over the time uh, so that that's what we end up in each po the population or individuals everyone have their own hla uh, profile. So that becomes a difference. In each individual have their own HLA profile uh, so that we cannot find a compatible donor. Almost it's not possible in a random uh, donor pool finding a 
fully compatible HLA donor. Uh, but we try to match in some levels, you know, we look at the, which is the critical gene that is important that keep the organ longer. Uh, so it is called uh, class two molecules or particularly HLA-DR. So those are very important to match. So now we look more antigens, uh, but generally it is A, HLA-A, B, and DR. So those three are important uh, molecules to match between the donor recipe. Uh, but uh, we have like a, a, a nine HLA loci, that means 18 antigens. So the more matching is better. If you match for all 18 antigens, that is uh, great. But you cannot find that kind of donor in random donor in an unrelated pool. So you mm. can get that kind of donor from the, within the families. Some, some siblings can be matched uh, uh, with the full HLA profile. And I guess your overall goal is to reduce the amount of rejection and reduce the amount of uh, immunosuppression needed once the transplant's done? Absolutely, uh, that's the goal. So the more matching is uh, less immunosuppression or less problem. Uh, so that's the that's the that's the goal. Uh, but um, in in uh, that's uh, that's the goal. But it's not happening. You know, when it comes to the um, unrelated uh, uh, kidney transplantation, you know, the kidney comes from the deceased donor. Uh, so that goes to the people who are who needs the kidney. Most sick people or most uh, people uh, the most weighted on the wait list you know it depends on that career it's not uh, working with uh, okay this patient is more matched with uh, this particular kidney so it's not depends on the HLA matching only your limited HLA matching so like the DR matching but uh, the organ allocation occurs uh, based on who has been on the wait list for the longer who is sicker uh, who, who are biologically uh, 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 critical patient those get their kidneys is uh, I mean how how Okay, so immunosuppression, um, are there different levels of it and uh, when does it go wrong and why? So, uh, so uh, it uh, majority of the immunosuppressions it depends on the transplant program. Uh, so, uh, you know, so immunosuppression you don't want to uh, over you know suppress the patients uh, because the patient will uh, will get infection uh, because the immune system is the one protecting us from the infection. So you want to protect from the infection, but at the same time you want to keep the organ inside. The same immune system rejected the immune system reject anything foreign materials, either from virus or bacteria or kidney from uh, someone or the transplanted kidney. So, so, so the immunosuppression is such a critical uh, aspect in transplanting. You want to suppress good enough to keep the kidney in, but at the same time, you keep the uh, immune system active against the uh, invading pathogens. Uh, so th that's the tricky, but uh, that's the active area of research. People identify what level of HLA matching needs to be done. So uh, the big question is, can we grade or can we just um, uh, come with the number you know, based on the molecular mismatches? Can we uh, gauge uh, the level of immunosuppression. So that's the active. When does uh, rejection happen typically and what, what does it look like? What happens when you know someone's rejecting a transplant? So uh, so the rejection can be uh, 
two um, uh, ways. One is the cellular rejections. You know, the, so in the immune system, we have cellular component and the humoral component. Humoral is mediated by the antibodies. Cellular component is mediated by the T cells, B cells, uh, other immune cells. Uh, so uh, uh, to, the, to tackle cellular immunity is very easy. So we have a lot of drugs um, that was created from the autoimmune uh, conditions or autoimmune world. So we can literally um, deplete your specific immune cells like a T cells, or you can suppress your specific immune cells like a T cells and B cells. So literally we have a variety of drugs available in the clinic so you can suppress or deplete uh, different uh, cellular composition of your system. Uh, but on the immoral immunities, there is not much drugs. The, the antibody mediated rejection is called, is very hard to control them. You need to remove the antibody by plasmaphoresis, but it is not a permanent solution. So people can make, or the patient can make antibodies immediately within a couple of days. So, uh, so the cellular immune response is manageable by available drug, but for the long run, uh, the antibody-mediated rejection big issue. So after uh, putting the kidney, the patients will develop de novo donor-specific antibodies against the uh, kidney, bit, which uh, starts killing the organ. So that's the big um, Is anyone looking at the microbiome in regards to transplants? Um, you know, of the organ itself or of the, the donor and the recipient, you know, because I would guess that, I don't know if the donor is given antibiotics before the surgery and then the recipient's given antibiotics before they receive the transplant. So maybe that's the best bet, or maybe it's better to not give antibiotics to, uh, to the donor until after the organ's removed to preserve the microbiome of the organ. Is anyone looking at that? Uh, this, this was like uh, is, a, is a active research in uh, three, four years back and when microbiome was in place in, in immunology, so, uh, it, it was very interesting aspect. Um, uh, so people, I think a couple of uh, NIH funded projects are looking at very systematically now, but, um, but overall there's not clear-cut correlations of how uh, the biome uh, can impact the long-term survival. Uh, but uh, the, the big proposal is that the biome can control um, or can modulate the immune system. It's kind of, uh, it can generate T regulatory T cells, uh, so that can down-regulate the immune system so that the organ can stay longer. Uh, but uh, we don't have any conclusive uh, results on that. But uh, again, uh, it is an active field of research. Well, what's the clinical protocol when you transplant an organ? Is the donor, again, given anti broad-spectrum antibiotics before the surgery, and is the recipient you know, so, given the same, or how does that work? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Uh, so, uh, so it's a, it's a, it, it, if uh, if you take all the patients who needs the kidney, you can put them into different categories. One, uh, very easy going, meaning they never exposed to uh, any HLA protein. So the the matching we are talking about, they never uh, exposed to any HLA, uh, meaning um, by by pregnancies, uh, when they get um, the woman get the pregnancy, uh, they are exposed to the husband HLA. Antigen. So that in after a couple of 
pregnancy, they can make antibodies against the husband. Then uh, the patient who already received a organ transplant, they can make antibodies against the organ. Then people get uh, transfusions, uh, they can make antibodies against the transfer protein. So if anyone not exposed to this transfusion, pregnancy or transplantations, they never make any HLA antibodies. So we have like a 70% of, of the waitlist candidates for the kidney or that category. They don't make any uh, antibodies because they never ex can it, uh, exposed to any HLA protein. So those are easy going. You can literally, you can put a kidney from any individual. Uh, to, then um, before you do the kidney surgery, uh, just you take out the cellular immune compound because there is no antibody immune compound. Only the cellular compound so using the depletion agents like anti-ATG or other, other kind of depleting, depleting agents. You can literally remove the cellular compounds. It's like a temporary, the cells will come back in. Then you put the kidney, then you give the patients everyday immunosuppressive drug, so then kidney can stay there. Um, so then you balance based on the immune system and the, and the uh, but the other one is the, the patient who already exposed to the HLA because of the previous transplantation or pregnancy or uh, uh, several transfusions. So they make antibodies against many, many HLA protein. So those are the candidates, we have 30% of the patients in the bay. Those are the patients are very tough to find the compatible. So that's our main job here in our lab. So we need to identify what type of HLA antibodies they get, um, if we, uh, then how much antibody they have it. So based on the antibody profile, then we are looking at who can be a very compatible donor. So that's our job. Here. What do they call uh, the uh, the antibody profile? They call it, I mean, it's the HLA, but do they also call it like the immunosome? Is that uh, a name that's ever used? Uh, no, it's, it's uh, anti-HLA antibodies. Okay, gotcha. So someone that's had <clears throat> had to create antibodies to fight off a whole bunch of stuff, like you said, someone that's been pregnant, someone that's had multiple transfusions, et cetera, they're much harder because they have so many more defenses already in place Absolutely. that a transplant is likely to reject from them more so. Uh, that's uh, absolutely, that's correct. Yep. So, uh, okay. yeah, so, so that means, so there, there should be a, the HLA matching is very critical. You know, if, uh, so, um, because if you do the mismatch kidney transplantation after eight to 10 years, when the kidney is rejected, then when the patient need a second kidney transplantation, the patient already made antibody all this mismatch antigen. So less or more matching or less mismatch is very important uh, so that the patient can get another transplant. Yeah. So this is very important um, fact in the pediatric transplant world. You know, the, the children who needs a transplantation within the earlier age, like a three years, two years, or five years old, so they probably need at least three kidney transplantation in their entire lifespan. So in the beginning, we want to put almost a very highly matched kidney. Uh, most of the time, the parents can be a donor because the parents are 50% uh, HLA match. So we try to bring the kidney uh, uh, with, the, with the matched donor so that the next transplantation will be easier so that the patient, because the patient is not making. Huh, interesting. Um, after a period of months or years, does the recipient get used to the transplant? Does it get easier or does it get harder over time? Uh, no, it is easier. I, I think, you know, when it's uh, uh, going to the dialysis center, uh, 
three times a week, uh, that's a big interruption in their lifestyle and uh, staying on the machine for four hours to six hours, that's a tough one. So, and a lot of patients and the, the, uh, the patient on the dialysis time, their survival um, or the lifespan is much, much uh, weaker. So they, they, they die, so it's like uh, it's a lot of patients waiting for the kidney, they die because they because of the hardship of the dialysis. So once they receive the kidney, uh, they, their life changes uh, immediately. They become just normal. Not only the kidney, the heart, lung, they, they, they do themselves. So it's a big uh, relief uh, for our patients getting a transplant. So if rejection is going to happen, when does it typically happen? Immediately or a few weeks. So, um, so if uh, the good transplantation is everything is fine. So there is no antibodies preformed HLA antibodies. All good. Some level of matching. Uh, so the patient has to take uh, immunosuppressive drug every single day after the transplant. So uh, as long as they take the drug every day, just every day, for doctor advice. The kidney can stay like a 20 years, easy. But if someone doesn't uh, take drugs, even missing for a week, um, it is very common in uh, teenagers. You know, they don't want to take the drug um, because they go 40 or other things. So they develop the antibodies against the kidneys. So then they start rejecting, then they lose the kidney. Uh, you know, if the, if they could not, if they be not, if we cannot get into the correct time, they literally lose the kidney and they list it for the second chance. So as long as they take the immunosuppressive drugs, they can keep the kidney. Uh, so the young patients, the pediatric, uh, not pediatric, the, uh, the teenagers, and uh, a lot of old people because there's no care involved. Uh, so the old people missing immunosuppressive drugs, then they end up with the kidney. And also if there's some patients not having uh, uh, good insurance to cover immunosuppression, uh, you know, some government programs, now that I think they are going to change, the government is going to change, but if the insurance is not paying for immunosuppressants after three years, I think, uh, they start losing the kidney. But if they- Oh, so even if I've had a kidney for like three years, <clears throat> uh, I'm still likely to reject it if I stop taking my immunosuppression. Oh, yeah. So, you, you, I mean, you can, one can lose the kidney if they stop the uh, immunosuppression even for a couple of weeks. Even one week is good enough. They can start losing. Even if, even if I've had it for years. Uh, so, if you take the immunosuppressive drugs, you can keep the kidney for uh, up to 20 years. Solid 10, 10 years. 10 to, hmm. So, um, so yeah, so the immunosuppressive drugs are key. You don't want to miss that drug. Yeah, there was a movie, Blade Runner, I guess, where they would repossess, you know, transplants that people didn't do what they were supposed to do. But thank God yeah. that doesn't happen, you know, if somebody doesn't pay their bill, for instance. That's, that's correct. So, so <laughs> now it's the, the new bill called Immuno Bill. So that allow patients uh, to buy the, uh, the insurance company to pay for the immunosuppressed for longer period, not just. I didn't realize that. So, huh? So insurance companies would only pay for three years, let's say. Uh, three years, I think. Sometimes two years. Then I uh, you know if the patient doesn't have money to buy the immunosuppressive drug, that's quite expensive, I guess. And uh, you know that's a problem. That's horrible. Yeah, that is. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know that. I, I was just kidding, but. Oh hmm. uh, yeah. Huh. So yes, it's going to change. That's a good thing. Yeah. So what's what's new uh, that's being worked on? In terms of transplantation, um, less immunosuppression, but still maintaining the organ. What's where's the advances going to come from? You think? 
So the advances uh, are more um, uh, matching, you know, so uh, so uh, if, you know, what kind of matching will enhance the the life of kidney transplanted organ, um, you know, so, uh, so we are working on to identify uh, uh, what are the uh, relevant mismatches here at the nucleotide or the amino acid or granule, not just looking at the antigen. So that's the, that's the one thing going on. So uh, hopefully we'll identify which mismatches are uh, bad mismatches or which mismatches are acceptable mismatches. So that's the one um, active projects of we and other many other. So the other second um, uh, active research, uh, uh, you know, we have hundreds and thousands of HLA antibodies. We want to know which one is uh, clinically important, which one is so detrimental on the graph, which one is not relevant to the curl. So that's a, that's again a big uh, junk of work that we are very actively in because uh, some patients are not transplant candidate because of so much HLA antibodies loaded in their bodies because they are second transplant or third transplant candidates uh, or because of their unique HLA types, so they are uh, making a lot of antibodies. We want to identify which antibodies are very irrelevant, uh, not rejecting them. So that's a big active research. Then in outside our labs, so there are a lot of labs doing um, uh, tolerance. The same uh, immune cells, uh, the T cells, a subset of them um, uh, majority of the T cells reject the organ, but a subset of T cells can suppress the T cells, uh, or that means it can enhance the organ um, outcome. Um, so it can suppress that. It's called T regulatory cells. So, so people trying to take the cells from the recipient and make the T regulatory cells uh, outside in the in the labs, then put it back to the uh, recipient. So that's a, another uh, line of research going on. So if that's works out, uh, that's going to be a great. So you don't need to take a lot of you know, suppression. So only just the immune system, the recipient immune can do. Uh, so that, that comes with a lot of challenges. It's not easy. So that's a one way. So then, uh, then there are a couple of uh, big centers involved in just transplanting uh, the bone marrow. You can introduce the new immune system from the donor before you put the kidney in. So, so uh, basically, you you take the uh, the recipient and you remove the recipient immune systems or at least some level, you deplete some of the immune system from the, then you put uh, immune system, immune cells from the donor, it's called bone marrow transplanting. Then after six months, you put the kidney from the donor. So it's kind of chimera. So you, you already prime the recipient and uh, body to receive the kidney transplant. So that's another uh, active. So um, huh. yeah, so that's all, all good stuff going. It's all challenging things. How, then, how well does the uh, preparing the immune system with the, the bone marrow transplant first work? Uh, it's, uh, I, I mean, some center climbs um, is, is doing great. You know, some, it, it, it all depends on the patients. Again, it goes back to how much HLA match between these individuals. So these are the very limited uh, studies, only 10, 15 patients they studied. So it's, uh, we, we need to uh, learn a lot, but this, uh, this is a great approach. You know, so when the, the disease donor, if, if it works out, you can do uh, the bone marrow transplant and the kidney from the same donor, from the disc donor. So it's all the novel ideas, but um, um, 
it's uh, yeah. So we we need to wait for the solid. So I, then, have a, I don't know yeah. if this is an ignorant question, but the HLAs are they conf- so these are antigens that exist only on leukocytes, or then all the cell types of the transplantable organ. Uh, it exists in every single cell that we have. It. Uh, it, it's kind of, the name is like a misleading. It's, it's called mm. even leukocyte antigen. Uh, but I know when they invented this HLA, uh, before that, uh, so there's only one antigen. That's the red cell antigen. So then people call it, okay, it's a white cell antigen. So that's okay, what I the see. naming started. But the, over the time, you know, so it, it, HLA is there every single cell. So if there is no HLA, that cells will be susceptible to infection because it cannot present the antigen. So over time, everyone becomes more and more unique and more and more defensive of their particular arrangement of, of cells and, and everything else. Uh, so, yeah, so that's the, that's the idea. So, um, so, it's, uh, so there's, a, there's a lot of research already published. You know, so if the people having various HLA types, you know, so we have one can have uh, uh, 18 different HLA molecules. Those are the classical class one that can be expressed and used for the protecting uh, for protection. Uh, so the 18 HLAs we have, um, uh, but uh, if uh, some loci can be homozygous, that means um, uh, people can have only nine HLA because how the homozygosity. So there will be a spectrum. People can have only nine HLA versus 18 different HLA. There's a spectrum. Some people can 10 and some have 11. So uh, because HLA present uh, viral peptides or the pathogenic peptides protect our uh, ourselves from the infection. So having more HLA is a greater advantage for the people who can defend against a variety of pathogenic peptides uh, compared to the people who has only uh, uh, nine HLA so, uh, so, so having more diversity in HLA, uh, people have it. They are, they are very tolerant or more protected against. So that has been published in many, many. It is called heterozygous advantage. So, um, throughout your life, though, your HLA profile changes a lot, or is it stay pretty similar to, to uh, other no. people in your family? Uh, it it it, cha- it is, uh, never changes. It does uh, so predominantly expresses. So whatever you inherited from the parents, uh, you expressed. It never changes. Oh, I, I thought that you said uh, people that are subject to insult throughout their life, they're harder to receive transplants. That they've uh, so, had more infections and things like that. But is that not HLA changing? Uh, no, no. So, so, so this the HLA never changes. HLA in our body never changes. But if you are exposed to another someone's HLA because of transplantation, pregnancy, or transfusion, then you develop antibodies against the dead party HLA model. So it is an anti-HLA antibody. Hmm. Okay. So then you cannot bring an organ uh, that that is um, uh, so against the antibodies. So you need to... Does, does, anything, does anything change the HLA profile? Can you deliberately provoke it to change and update itself? So, uh, so that's the, the, um, um, uh, the CRISPR technology comes in. So uh, people trying to do that. Uh, so, you know, so the xenotransplantation has been there in the field for many, many years. Uh, you know, so the big problem is you get the organ from the pig and you transplant them. But the problem is that the pig doesn't come with the same 
uh, molecules like HLA molecules that we are talking. So that is HLA is very critical to present antigen. So, so now they are using the CRISPR, uh, they are, are trying to engineer um, um, uh, the, the pig expressing human HLA so that they can uh, the transplantation between pig and uh, so that's an, again another active so that's the CRISPR technology is helping. Has anyone but, I don't know if, I mean this is probably a long road but has anyone tried to look at like the uh, the extracellular vesicles given off by a given organ you know before it's transplanted and then after it's transplanted to compare them to see if there's any indicators of, uh, of change? Uh, yeah, so that's again, I said, it, uh, it's a, it's a long-term research. So the people are trying to do this, you know, so when, when the organ is harvested and they need to store it until it goes to war of the risk. So now uh, the lot of organs fly from anywhere from one corner of the country to the corner. So the kidney flies, liver, uh, heart, lung, every, all organs can fly any place, one place to another. So during the travel, they keep it in their solution. This is a cold um, uh, solution. So that solution, they had this reagent to preserve it. So that helps um, uh, the vesicles can go into the cells to preserve the decaying, the, or slowing down the decay, or uh, e even it can downregulate the expression of HLA molecules. You know, it's a, it, it pulls the HLA molecules, so it's not expressed more HLA molecules. So um, again, th those are the active research going on. You're absolutely correct. Well, it's very complicated, but um, so, all right, Raj, what do you think will be the near-term wins or you know advances in understanding? What do you think in the next maybe five years that uh, we'll see that's different about transplantation? Oh, there, there are a few things. One, uh, people are developing the mechanical organs um, uh, for the kidney, uh, the implantable organs. They make a mechanical kidney. You can implant them that stays like um, you don't need to charge anything just it works like uh, uh, any other the implanted uh, the ventricular or, or device types so so, uh, so that's like an implantable organs people are working I think that has a lot of potential uh, there's a UCSF group uh, working on that so a lot of a lot of investors in have pouring money so a lot of industries are uh, working on that kind of projects. Then the second is that I think the with the CRISPR technologies, the genotransplantation is very active now. So so they are knocking down a lot of um, uh, even molecules from the pig and see um, uh, yeah, one can tolerate, uh, the recipient can tolerate the pig organ. So genotransplantation, another uh, big lot of hope uh, for the transfer. Uh, so I think with these two, um, uh, it's going to be great. So and the other one is the organ, synthetic organs. You know, you take the um, organ from unusable organs, just remove the cells, and you bring the cells from the recipient, and you uh, modify the organ, or you generate the new organ uh, from uh, from from the materials from the recipient. So you just grow the organ in the petri. Uh, so that's uh, that's again uh, so another active. So I think this all these three uh, is going to uh, benefit our if one or other works out. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Raj, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work? Uh, so, uh, so we have this um, website, um, so, uh, UCSF HLA Lab. Um, so you can find us. Um, uh, so you can find us from our publication. So HLA transplantations will be there. Okay. 
Oh, last question. Um, is there any incentive to, I don't know if it's hard to do, but can you have your HLA profiled? You know, if you wanted to set up a network of people that say not only, hey, I'm willing to be an organ donor when I die, but um, I'll get the testing done. So here's my HLA profile so that, you know, it's faster to find recipients. Would there be any use for a network like that? Uh, so it is already there for the bone marrow transplanting. Uh, the donation is only the bone marrow or, or, or the little bit blood from the just peripheral blood. So it's not even bone marrow nowadays. You can uh, uh, collect only the stem cell from the peripheral blood and you can save the patient. So that's, uh, we have like a 5 million volunteer donors in US. So they want to give the, uh, the blood cells for blood stem cells. Uh, for, the, uh, for the kidney, uh, there is a registry. Uh, people wants to donate one kidney. Uh, there, there's called National Kidney Registry. There are a couple of other things. You can, people can register. I think is you can find them in the Google. Uh, if there's someone wants to donate the kidney, they can register uh, um, and, and give the kidney. Uh, I think only those things are, I mean, so liver, uh, there are some living transplantation, living donation, but uh, it's most of them are related. But the liver, uh, liver donation is a piece of liver one can, uh, but the heart and lung harm, so that's that's only the cadaveric or the deceased also. Mm. All right, Raj, well, very good. Thanks for coming on the podcast, and I appreciate it. Thanks, Richard. Thank you very much. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.